Welcome to Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Perry Center Against Sexual Assault in Springfield, Illinois. Experts continue to advocate for the inclusion of men and boys in the primary prevention of sexual violence, saying that sexual violence really is more of a men's issue. And we know the vast majority of sexual assaults are committed by men against women. And in trying to understand the risk factors that could lead to perpetration, the idea of toxic masculinity was created. But that term tends to have a visceral response. For some, it immediately makes them feel like they need to defend themselves. For others, it creates an immediate image of a particular type of person, and it's often not a good image. So the question becomes, how do we invite men into the prevention efforts and celebrate what many men are doing right while acknowledging the problematic behavior of a few? It is an important part of changing social norms, which is vital in primary prevention efforts. To talk more about men's involvement in sexual violence prevention, celebrating male voices in ways that many are unaware of, and how terminology like toxic masculinity could be hurting prevention efforts is Rob Oaken. Rob is the editor and publisher of Voicemail, and that's Mail M-A-L-E magazine, which you can find online at voicemailmagazine.org, and a former executive director of the Men's Resource Center for Change, one of the earliest men's centers in North America. He is also the author of Voicemail, the untold story of the pro-feminist men's movement, which chronicles the transformation of men and masculinity. He speaks at colleges and universities around the country about transforming masculinity, and he is on the board of directors at the Center for Study of Men and Masculinities and North American Men Engage. So welcome to the show, Rob, and I love the name of your magazine. I think that is so clever. Thank you very much. Now, you call the anti-sexist men's movement one of the most important social justice movements most people have never heard of. Why do you think this is so important? Well, inside of the greater social justice movements, The work that women have done in moving the women's movement and moving the idea of feminism over the last 50 years in this second wave of feminism, men started to wake up in the 70s and and recognize that their allegiance to and their interest in the ecology movement and the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement and in the burgeoning uh, gay rights movement all of these movements, women were integrally involved and men were kind of on the sidelines. And when the women's movement really started to take off, there were some men who said the messages that we're hearing and the development of uh, ideas of the personal as the political and consciousness raising groups and all of the work that was being done recognizing the societal problems from the at that time, uh, unknown phenomenon of domestic violence, men weren't part of it. Men weren't thinking about it. And when men started to recognize talking to people that they were involved in, women, they might have been partners or work colleagues, they started to pay attention. And over the ensuing decades, men have become part of this movement. And nothing that the pro-feminist men's movement, that's kind of my, one of my terms or the anti-sexist men's movement, nothing that we do could have happened without the leadership and the inspiration of the women's movement. So when I say one of the um, least known social change movements that you've never heard of, what I mean is, is that men are part of this, and yet who is taking up all the oxygen, who we are hearing about are 
you know, in this current moment, men who would be described as uh, white supremacists or uh, certainly anti-feminists or uh, misogynists, but we don't hear much from, you know, and I, I know you made reference to uh, uh, an op-ed that I wrote that was in a bunch of newspapers and websites on the other white men. Why aren't the men who were part of this little known movement, why aren't our voices being heard in the conversation? And why are we only hearing from the other side? So let's take a moment and and really kind of define toxic masculinity, because I think that's something that people tend to define in their own minds, and we might not have a consistent definition across the board. So how would you define toxic masculinity? Well, you know, in, in some of the um, material that you and I exchanged before today, um, the suggestion was there that it's not really a helpful term. And I'd like to just unpack that a little bit. So if we use a term like that, which you're right, different people have different shades of interpretation, right from the get-go, if you're a man who doesn't consider himself a bad guy, you're immediately defensive. I'm being called toxic. Well, toxic is poisonous. And what we're talking about is not a uh, biological phenomenon, toxicity, what we're talking about is a sociological phenomenon, the socialization of men and the imposition on all of us of a, of a patriarchal culture. So it's a bad phrase because it makes men defensive when we're wanting to invite them into the conversation about change. And it really is such a loaded term because it's, you know, toxic. Toxic is just a, a cleaned up version of poison. And if you go around saying, you know, men, you're poison, you're not going to get a lot of takers to sit down and have a conversation with you. So I understand that it's in the vernacular now, it's in popular culture, it's in there, and we're kind of stuck with it. But I think any opportunity that any of us in our own writing and speaking and in our conversation is to be able to say, Yes, it's here, but it's not helpful. And it's fine to talk about men who are acting abusively or men who are harassing or, you know, men who are not living up to their best selves. But for me, that term just has more problems with it than it than it solves. Now, the third Men Engage Global Symposium, which is going on now and it runs through June, is named, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get this right, Ubuntu? So what does uh, Ubuntu mean and how does that help combat this social phenomenon of, of men not being the best selves? Let me just start by letting folks who are listening know that there's a global organization that has been around for the last couple of decades called Men Engage, one word, menengage.org. And they currently, uh, I'm part of it, so we have uh, 900 member organizations, including some individuals, in 90 countries on five continents. So this is clearly uh, a global organization. And the issues that um, Men Engage works on run the gamut from uh, gender-based violence to healthy fathering. And periodically over the years, they have been putting on these uh, symposia the first one was in Rio de Janeiro down in Brazil in 2009, and about 500 people were there, and voicemail was available at, at that one. And then 
in 2014 in New Delhi in uh, India. And I just when I say the word India, my heart. I know all of us are thinking about all the people there who are having to deal with this crushing, crushing uh, rise in, in COVID infections and death. The one in New, De- in New Delhi had uh, 1,200 delegates from uh, 75 countries. And we were lucky to have an opportunity to give copies of uh, a global issue of voicemail out. Um, and this one is was scheduled to be in, in Rwanda, in Kigali, last November. And when the uh, pandemic struck and travel was off, they pivoted, or as I like to say, they zoomed into action and created a series of webinars and events from November that are continuing all the way to the third week in June. And you can go on that website, menengage.org, and many of the uh, sessions, I think maybe all of the sessions, are, have been recorded, and you can find the things that would be of interest to you. They chose as the theme, since this was in Africa, a philosophy that Ubuntu, which means I am because you are. And it really speaks to our interconnectedness and the way that what impacts uh, you impacts me. And that, in terms of our work with men, opens the door for explorations of empathy and compassion and nurturance which are not terms that are necessarily associated with men. It's always been frustrating to me as a writer and an editor to see that certain words in our culture have been gendered. So those three words, uh, compassion and empathy and nurturance, have been gendered female, and words like strength and bravery have been gendered male. And of course, we know that we all arrive on the planet with a blank slate, and we have the capacity to be all of those. So this seven-month symposium is really dedicated to the idea of furthering our understanding of what a feminist-informed future for men and boys could look like. So Men Engage has, in its leadership, women, the the original director, who's now a co-director, is a woman, and feminism is certainly foundational to the work of uh, this global organization. And it will be encouraging for people who may be feeling discouraged by uh, men who are being targeted with those or labeled with, you know, those um, behaviors for that term that I don't like to use, toxic masculinity. It it can be encouraging and heartening to to know that there is a uh, work going on around the world. so I've, I've told more than one person, if you're feeling discouraged about men and masculinity, you know, first check out voicemailmagazine.org, but then go to the menengage.org website and read about what's going on around the world. And Men Engage Africa, I think, has 17 member countries, and Latin America is numerous countries. So there's a lot going on, and the, uh, the conference, uh, the, the symposium, as many sessions that look at things like one one of the pieces that we had in the magazine about how childcare and uh, was go, was being divided or not being divided well during the pandemic, the whole notion of how we're living our lives now, but the greater issues of 
how men are being encouraged to get involved in being allies in the struggles against gender-based violence in, in all areas of from domestic violence and sexual violence. There's there's so much to to say, but I I don't want to give you not have an opportunity to keep asking me some more questions. <laughs> now, in the current issue of Voicemail, there's an article called How Men's Personal Stories Can Help Dismantle the Patriarchy. And there's an absolutely wonderful quote in it. It is, ideas of masculinity are A, socially constructed and changeable, and B, foster many preventable health and social justice problems for people of all genders. Uh, can you go ahead and expand on those two ideas? Sure. And I would encourage folks to check out this organization, the Men's Story Project, which I believe it's menstoryproject.org. And this is an organization that a woman named Jocelyn Lear, who was in San Francisco and now I think is in DC, set up to allow men to tell their stories, what's really going on in their lives. And these are some live events where men get up and tell personal narratives and it becomes both cathartic and interactive with the audience and a chance to really understand the little explored relationship that men have to our interior lives that we're thought of as being tough and vulnerable and not really interested in our kind of emotional lives. But what Men's Story Project is, is saying is that when we get in touch with those stories, when men are allowed to find their voices to speak about their inner lives, that that's the magic, the alchemy of, of growth and change and how men can break down some of their own internal defensiveness, their, in, their sense of invulnerability about all kinds of issues that may be plaguing them from relationship struggle to work issues. You know, if we ask the average person, what's the one emotion that we think about when we say men or manhood or masculinity, everyone always says anger. They might say something else, but anger is always at the top of the list. And when we realize that men uh, have the have within us the full range of, of emotions of expressing sadness, ex expressing vulnerability, expressing love, expressing joy, happiness, but that we have those uh, feelings tamped down. So any way that we can uh, change that narrative by just getting men together to tell their stories, to, to really hear what's going on in their lives, starts to break things down. And that to me is the opposite of uh, a stagnant and inappropriate term like toxic masculinity. It's like exploring manhood. Let's look at what's really going on for men in men's lives. And, and then I'll just add before I let you pick up, why is it that we can't get the mainstream and often alternative media to stop talking about or only talk about the problematic men, the, the, the violent men, the abusive men? That's, I'm not saying we don't need to have those stories told and we have to uh, fight with everything that we have to change that. But if we're not inspiring ourselves and encouraging ourselves by looking for the good news, looking for the stories, I can't tell you how many women I have talked to over the years who said, I had no idea there was a pro-feminist men's movement. I had no idea that there are these organizations like 
Men Can Stop Rape in Washington, D.C. that's, you know, 25, 30 years old, or Men Stopping Violence down in Atlanta that's 40 years old, or the Men's Resource Center or Voicemail Magazine, or on and on and on. So it's really on all of us to look for the good news and to promote it, not to ignore the problems, but we've got to talk about those people that are working on the solutions. And I think, you know, you bring up such a great point that, and even with female issues, the, the, the media just really does focus on the negatives. And then we, we create these boxes for both, both genders, really. I mean, we always talk about women are supposed to be a certain way. We're supposed to be pretty and demure and acquiescing and all of, of these things, subservient in some cases. And then men in the other box, uh, you know, you're strong, you're courageous, you never show fear or pain or sadness. Uh, you're just all of these ridiculous emotions that no creature could be 100% of the time. And we've really isolated ourselves because none of these things overlap at all. So, I mean, we've really created a very problematic situation for just relationships in general, let alone, you know, the gender-based violence that we see so often. Yes, that's true. And then the simultaneous truth is that inside of the greater gender equality, gender justice movement has been a growing collaboration and, and cooperation among people who identify as women and people who identify as men and, and allies in between to work together to problem solve, to try to break down some of those stereotypes. So it's been encouraging to me that over the years, playwright uh, V, formerly calling herself Eve Ensler, but recently changed her name to V, that her organizations, V-Day and the work that she's done on, you know, violence prevention, gender-based violence prevention around the world, has had uh, integrated it from its earliest days, collaborating with, with men and men's organizations. So that, to me, the relationship that um, a lot of the writers for Ms. Magazine and some of the other newer uh, magazines that um, feminist women have, have started in the years, like Pitch, they are including the voices of men so that there's the, the rigidity and that, that, that boxed distance is there, but it's being broken down by activists inside of these movements with some shared values. Now, in one of your blog posts, uh, and we've re referred to this before, the other white men, you've talked about how you've advocated for the CDC to pilot a program for preschool teachers to uh, cultivate boys' emotional intelligence and hoping that with the current administration, Congress would draft a Healthy Boys Initiative. What would these programs look like and how will they help prevent these issues caused by um, gender stereotyping that can lead to things like sexual violence and gender-based violence? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an ambitious idea and I don't know whether it will develop into something substantive that could turn into a congressional act like a Healthy Boys Initiative. But it's, it's been on my mind for at least the last 15, 20 years that every time there's a mass shooting, and when we say the word mass shooting, we automatically all see in our mind's eye a male doing the, the shooting. And of course, in 99% of the time, that's the case. In all of these situations where there's been negative behaviors by men, nobody is going back 
other than isolating them as like, oh, he's got a mental health problem or he lost his job or he didn't have an education. And they make it into a personal as opposed to looking at it as a systemic problem. And for me, if we actually went back to preschool, we went back to the earliest days when boys are being socialized, and we said, let's look at, we already have a federal preschool program called Head Start. It's been everywhere. It's been operating successfully for decades. Let's give the CDC some money, and let's roll out a pilot study. Now, one of the first things we'd have to do is have seminars and education for the preschool teachers because the preschool teachers, as dedicated and as wonderful as they may be, they still have been socialized into looking at those two identified genders and the the adjectives that you use about females and males, that you know one is this way and one is the other way. And there's been some great work going on in uh, Scandinavia, Sweden, I think in particular, where their daycare centers have kind of done away with a lot of gendered language. And they're re- really looking at raising children to encompass that whole range. But I'm focusing in, in terms of what could happen here, on a study where boys' emotional intelligence is being cultivated from the earliest days, from I mean, parents would certainly have a responsibility or an opportunity when they're babies and and toddlers. But when you get into socializing them with other kids in preschool, to really talk about and and give them opportunities to be caregivers, whether it's, you know, growing things or taking care of little pets, something that that stirs that sense of of nurturance that we all arrive with in, in, in us. And that it is socialized into us or it's socialized out of us. So right now there's an, one of the organizations that's um, part of uh, Men Engage and has done some great work around the world. It's called Promundo, promundo.org for listeners. And they have been central in a, a men care campaign that's operating in about 50 plus countries that looks at a lot of fatherhood and fathers as caregivers. and men as caregivers. And I think that the studies that they've been involved in could serve as the foundation for Congress to take something seriously, because it's one thing for me to every time there's another mass shooting that's perpetrated by a male, or in terms of the recent uh, uh, insurrection on January 6th, or any of the, the vile coming out of white supremacist males, primarily it's easy for me to talk about this idea, but somebody in Congress or the CDC is going to say, show me some data, show me some studies. And Promundo and some of its colleagues, I think the Kiernan Foundation, have produced just that. So when I say this administration in these first two years, we may, we may not have a shot again to take something like this on. But for any of us doing this work or for any of us interested in these ideas, the notion that we can be promoting healthy masculinity from the get-go with boys, really focusing in on boys, I think is essential. And to that point, any of us seeing uh, coaches or teachers or mentors who are 
propagating the old stereotypes. We shouldn't just roll our eyes. We should skillfully and appropriately approach those teachers and mentors and coaches and just explain to them how unhelpful this is. And if we really do want to change the culture, we have to change the way that we're raising our boys. I mean, and it's really is so baked in because you, I mean, even you look at something, it's toys because girls are taught to play house and to play a mommy and we're giving them dolls so they can really nurture that. But what are boys taught to play with? You know, um, you are playing war or you're, you're superheroes and you're always battling. So we are really encouraging these aggressive behaviors and you look at even like sports where you hear some of the really negative things, you know, you throw like a girl and, and, and things like that. And you're right, until we address some of these things at, at the mentor level, because it just seems to keep perpetuating itself. So with that in mind, are we going to be able to eliminate things like sexual violence, sexism, oppression, without taking these uh, ideas on? Or are they just so intertwined that when we solve one problem, we start solving them all. I mean, there's such an uh, awareness of the interconnection of, of all the issues that we're dealing with. One of the symposium topics is men's role in the climate justice movement, which you could initially say, what do men have to do with you know the climate crisis and, and why would they be involved? But uh, again, if we go and look, you know, we can see that the feelings of toughness and, and invulnerability that are socialized into men in their personal lives is seen in how they respond to the ecological crisis that no, you know, it's almost like both solar and wind are, are feminized and, and oil and gas and coal are, are masculinized. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it is everywhere. And I think that it's part working with the young people starting young and it's also being able to ask men, ask the other white men, the men who don't agree with the people who are getting all the airtime right now, ask them. It's not like to put them on the spot, but if you want to have a, a world that's more imbalanced, if you want to see, and rather than tisk tisk that the Harvey Weinsteins and the Bill Cosbys of the world are, are that's not me. If you want to see those problems go away, then you've got to ask yourself, what on a very individualized level can I do? Am I going to interrupt that, that sexist joke and that act of harassment? Am I going to speak up? Am I going to jot a note to the, my state legislature when there's a bill? There's, there's always something that we can do. These problems have been, as you said, they've been baked in for a really long time. So it's not like that they're going to go away overnight. But I am encouraged when I see the development of younger men stepping into this movement. And I, and I want to say that one does not have to become part of the pro-feminist or the anti-sexist men's movement as a, you know, something that you do every week. To, to be part of solving problems, uh, although you're, you're welcome, um, we, we value you. But I think that all of us have an opportunity to interrupt things that we find offensive and to break down those kinds of issues. And for, for men listening and for women who 
have men in their lives who they know are are open to discussing these things. Please, men, do not say sexual violence is a women's issue. You know, that's just that's and, and I'm and I don't do those things, so therefore I'm off scot free. That's not what we need. We we need to recognize that these are everybody's issues and men taking some responsibility within ourselves and within whatever it's a pickup basketball game, whenever those can start to happen again post pandemic. Whatever our environment's on, the simple act of challenging an offensive comment, you know, that just doesn't cut it with me. I don't like hearing that. That's a kind of definition of courage that I think more men could be invited to exercise. Well, we're getting ready to wrap things up. Uh, what is the one thing that, well, I think we've really probably talked about a little bit, but everyone needs to do right now to help change that story of manhood? Well, I, you know, on some level, it's it's uh, educating ourselves to just just to know that this work is out there. Of course, I'd love you know more people to read voicemail, but there's there's some great movies, there's some great books. Um, you mentioned you throw like a girl. That's actually the name of a book uh, we featured in the magazine a year or two ago by a former NFL quarterback, Don McPherson, and. Our friends at the Media Education Foundation, which make great social issue documentaries, they made into a, uh, a film, You Throw Like a Girl. Um, the Man Card is a film that uh, my friend and colleague Jackson Katz and Media Education Foundation, Jeremy Earp, made that looks at white supremacy from Nixon, President, former President Nixon through uh, former President Trump. There's a ton of books on uh, men and feminism. The resource section on our website, if you went to voicemailmagazine.org resources, lists the kinds of books and, and films. So education is one key piece that this isn't, the, the good news is, is that people have been working on these issues for several decades now, so you're not starting at square one. And the other is to, if not embrace the idea of uh, feminism, it's certainly not to see it as a negative, as a, as a bad thing. You know, that's another term that's been denigrated. And, and what, what is feminism other than a belief in the equality of everyone? So education and, and conversation, being willing to just engage with other men. To me, you know, there was a phenomenon of men's groups that started, well, there were some in the 70s and 80s, but particularly in the 90s. And there was Robert Bly-oriented, mythopoetic, you know, men drumming circles in the woods, which I think is great as a first place to go with wanting to get in touch with your, exploring your inner life. But to me, to really take this work out into the world, to recognize that we need to work on our inner lives and we need to look at the situation in our external world. And when we do, we see that men, too many men have been perpetuating the kind of and perpetrating the kind of behaviors that we want to interrupt, intervene and to end. And for all of us, it's incumbent on us to look at ourselves inward 
and then to look at the world outward and then to find our place to take that next step in putting our shoulder to the wheel of change. We've been talking with uh, Rob Oaken of Voicemail Magazine. I know we have voicemailmagazine.org uh, is your website. Are there any other places people can go to find out more about the work you do? That'll be the, the best place. We have a Facebook page. Um, when we, have, we post on social media, so you can follow us. Just make sure when you're looking that you type in the word mail, M-A-L-E, when you're writing Voicemail Magazine. But this has been a pleasure to have this conversation. It's been really uh, inspiring for me to know about the work that you're doing. And we really hope to see that these connections from the center of the country to the East Coast to national, and as I've spoken about internationally, that we continue to see our movement for gender equality grow. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, too, and getting your insight. Thank you. This has been Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault. If you would like more information or have questions about this program, you may call our offices at 217-744-2560 or send me an email at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault supports children and adult survivors of sexual violence through counseling and legal and medical advocacy in 11 central Illinois counties. Prairie Center offers coaching boys into men for male high school and college athletes, bringing in the bystander training training for college campuses and sexual harassment prevention training for businesses and organizations in our area. Our main office is located in Springfield, Illinois, with satellite offices in Jacksonville and Taylorville, Illinois. And you can find out more about our services at our website at prairiecasa.org. This program is supported by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Points of view or opinions contained in this program are those of Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault and our guests and do not necessarily reflect the official positions or policies of these grantors. Thank you for listening.